0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to SF Music Tech. This is the Connected Car and Entertainment panel. So if you're here for Biology 101, it's out the door to the left. My name is Wayne Cunningham. I'm the Senior Editor for Car Technology at CNET.com. Been reviewing cars since about 2005 there, when finding an auxiliary input in a car was actually kind of a rare thing. On the panel today, we've got... Shilin Simmons, she's the Vice President of Content and Marketing at AHA Internet Radio. We have Jeff Snyder, who's the Automotive Business Development uh, Lead at Pandora. And Ty Roberts, who's the CTO and founding member of Gracenote. Just as an introduction to this panel, I'm going to start off saying, you know, why have a panel about cars at a music conference. Well, cars have been a platform for music since Motorola introduced the first wireless radio in a car in 1930. And since then, we've gone through eight tracks, CD players, portable digital music players. And most recently, we're starting to see online music apps integrated into cars. This trend is just beginning to happen. So it's kind of a wild west of development out there right now. And it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. And uh, the implementations are all over the place. So I want to introduce each of our, our panel members first. I'll let them talk a little bit about their companies and, and uh, what's going on. So Shaolin, do you want to start us off?
1: Hi, um, my name is Shailen Simmons and I'm the VP of Marketing and Content at AHA. Um, AHA is a wholly owned subsidiary of Harman International, which produces JBL, Harman Kardon Systems. Little known fact is that we actually produce a lot of hardware in vehicles, probably one of the number one producers of hardware in vehicles um, globally. And this is a little business unit that basically brings connected content into the vehicle, everything from Facebook and Twitter to podcasts and internet radio, working with different providers. Uh, Two wins. We are very proud recently to have announced that we are with 10 Plus Automakers. This year we'll be launching vehicles. Folks from Ford and Chrysler to Scion and uh, Honda and Subaru actually have the AHA implementation and vehicle as the fourth band of radio. And so we're we're very thrilled about that. We're second today only to Pandora. And I guess a second win here is that we're very proud to sort of announce recently that we have pushed out a publisher's portal that allows music providers and content providers such as audiobook and podcast providers to be able to submit their content for being pushed out in vehicles globally.
0: Would they submit that through your website or what's
2: the portal for that? Okay.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: Hello, yep. Jeff Snyder, and I am responsible for automotive business development at Pandora. So my team is really looking to capitalize on the opportunity that in-car content, music listening represents. We know historically half of radio listening has happened in the car, which speaks to the enormous opportunity there. And uh, so my team is really focused on trying to trying to capture as much of that market as possible. We've had a lot of early success. Uh, we've We had our first OEM brand launch with Ford in December 2010. We now have 23 OEM brand partners. We'll be crossing over 100 models on which Pandora is available here shortly. We also work with the aftermarket partners. There are eight aftermarket suppliers who have Pandora integrations available across their product line. Yeah, it's it's a really exciting space. We're happy to be represented here at SF Music Tech and look forward to a good conversation.
3: Hi everybody, I'm Ty Roberts. I'm the CTO and the co-founder of Bracenote. Grace Notes has been working in automotive since 2001. So that's a long, long, long time ago. Putting the first systems into cars, really in the aftermarket, and then going on into the OEMs, and their electronic centers, like Harman is a huge partner of ours. We're at about 100% of cars at this point that have digital and systems, primarily ones that connect to the mobile handset or have integrated hard drives for storage and music. We're basically the guys who help make accessing music in a car safe and easy. We basically provide the the metadata, the information, let somebody speak to the car stereo, and then our partner Nuance uh, does the recognition uh, part of that and puts together essentially the ability to kind of like say the name of the artist that you want to play. We also do the metadata, lets you control music you might have on your phone that's resident. So the files that are actually on the actual phone, if you want to play those or you want to actually figure out how to access those safely, we have Integrated kind of scanning technology that scans the phone and then playlists it automatically, also under voice control. So today's, I think, uh, what's happening really is, is that bringing your music into the car or having the head unit access your music is becoming kind of a standard feature across the product line for auto manufacturers. And this is was originally started in the in the high end of the market and is now going lower and lower and lower and lower. And uh, Really, there's a lot of opportunity still to create new applications. These guys have open APIs, and the reality is is that the market's really just getting going, and we're pretty, pretty excited about that.
0: All right, I've got a few issues that I'm going to start off the discussion <coughs> with, and either of you can jump in on e- either of these, whoever wants to take it first, and then afterwards we can open it up to some questions that you might have. So, first of all, my my first kind of issue question is car or phone? Is it a better solution to have the music app running on the phone brought into the car or integrate the app into the car's dashboard and maybe have a data pipe right into the car? Who wants to jump in on this one? I, I could maybe take a shot at that. So,
3: having it on the phone has some advantages in that that the phone application market is well-developed and people are revving their apps, like Pandora's revving their app on there, I don't know how, how, how often, but pretty frequently, adding new features, doing the cool new stuff. And that model hasn't yet really come yet to the, to the dashboard where there's an integrated app store and update feature inside the head units of the car. but it is coming. And I think, to some degree, that's actually what's necessary, because all of these services, first of all, there are new services all the time. There are updates and improvements to the services, and you wouldn't want to buy a car which had an integrated feature, which was stuck and frozen in time forever, because it probably wouldn't actually work for very long. It probably worked for a few years. So that's one of the big issues of getting this stuff into the head unit. But... Ultimately, I do think integrated into the head unit is going to provide a better user interface and something that may be safer and cooler. Um, It's going to be more work, but I think that just like other things in your car, you know, you don't have your air conditioning run from an app, you know, here. I guess there are some cars that have that as a feature, but the idea is, is that when the auto manufacturer designs the Interface to the car it's a complete experience for the whole driving from driving to entertainment everything And I do feel that they do a pretty good job at that So I guess on one side you have innovation and quick access on the other side this integrated experience
2: Maybe I'll I'll add on to that. I think um, I mentioned the integrations we have available. They are all currently leveraging the the broad end device as the the connection point, right? That's we have 140 million people who have used Pandora via their mobile applications. Clearly, there's a huge install base that we can leverage at these these early stages. Um, the, the way that we've typically implement, implemented the solution is to have the automaker or the partner build a thin software client on the head unit that then talks to the app, the true engine is running on your mobile phone. Uh, and it certainly provided some very good early successes. Uh, I think Ty pointed out some of the long-term advantages of an embedded strategy, certainly something that we look forward to. Um, we're going to continue to support and invest in the, the broadened device, but as some of the hurdles to embedded connectivity. Um, become fewer and fewer and we, we get over them, I think there's going to be more and more listening via those via those solutions. GM recently announced at Mobile World Congress they're going to be introducing 4G modems in a majority of their vehicles starting mid part of next year. Um, they are looking at an app framework that will allow for these types of updates. Um, you know, I think those are some, some of the exciting things that, that we're looking forward to as our app Continues to evolve, new functionalities added, et cetera. We can push those out, uh, just as we do the phone to the to the car. Uh, Really, the last thing I'll add here is that, you know, my team, as well as getting into as many cars as possible, the mandate is to make the access to Pandora as easy as possible. So the same. experience you have with FM radio now, you get in, turn the car, music starts playing. Uh, there are some hurdles. We are mitigating those in the broadened device in terms of needing to pair the device itself. They, those go away with a connected solution. Um, so we think that will drive even more listening uh, via I, for IP delivery of content.
1: Um, well, um, at Harman, um, AHA by Harman, we actually do both. We actually um, utilize applications to basically bring content into car from everything from location-based services to social media, podcasts, and music. But We also work with automakers to have embedded solutions. But I think the big question is not so much um, for us. The, the automakers control that user experience, and our experience is very similar to our like Pandora, an FM AM experience. But I think the question really becomes um, consumer resistance. At the end of the day, we've done focus group testing with automaker after automaker to get a better sense of, you know, if you had an embedded solution, would you be willing as a consumer to basically pay in an additional $24.99 to, let's say, a Chrysler or a Ford or, or so forth to basically access um, the wireless connectivity um, as well as, you know, um, get access to the app and so forth. Um, but the reality is, is that most of the, the consumers, at least today, um, in the last two and a half years to three years, have not been interested in doing that. Um, focus group after focus group, their feelings are, look, I have connectivity on this. This is where I you know, want to have one consolidated data plan unlike the unlike Europe where you know most of those folks are running on GSM we use CDMA we use GSM so what happens if you actually use AT&T and you're in a car that basically only uses Sprint or Verizon so now suddenly you're paying for two carriers there's a lot of resistance on the consumer side to basically um, deal with paying multiple sort of services. And that's really where we see probably the barrier issue, less on the automotive side, less on our end, but more on the consumer in terms of adoption. And so until the, you know, the head units themselves have the capability to allow you to swap SIM cars, and so you could actually have one data plan that makes a car one of many of the Internet-connected things that's in your life, um, the resistance is probably there more than anything else, I think.
0: Uh, What about branding with your apps? When you're talking about if you have the app on your phone, somebody might not be aware that it works with their car, whereas if they look in their car's head unit and see, oh, there's, you know, the Pandora app is an icon right there, or, you know, whatever uh, music app that might be there. Um, Where do you fall on that?
1: Well, um, our solution is fairly simple. We're the fourth band of radio, so if you walked into a Subaru and purchased a new Subaru today, or a Porsche, or um, any number of vehicles, we're literally the fourth tab. You'll see AM, FM, XM, and AHA. And so AHA is the connectivity that brings you basically um, a whole host of different content. And so from automaker to automaker, if so long as you see that tab there, you should know that you could carry your content and keep listening from vehicle to vehicle. And so that's, um, you know, for us, we're much more of a service. Brand than anything else. Um, folks who actually you know utilize our service are not really seeking aha per se. Um, they're looking to access RDO or they're looking to access um, you know a different type of music services or podcasts, the brands that they really resonate with, and we're just sort of expedient, um, the sort of a little marketer say like yeah, you could listen from car um, car maker to car maker and aftermarket to car, so
2: we we have a i think similar interests a bit more vested in our brand specifically and i think um as much as i'd like to take credit for the existence of a pandora app icon in for instance all of the honda civics or crvs available on the, on dealership loss now i think there's also been recognition by the automakers that they there's pull from the consumer side they want access to the services that they're using now we benefit, my team benefits from the leadership position that Pandora plays in the marketplace. So so they certainly want to provide these services to their to their drivers, and they want to use it to help sell more cars. Uh, Pandora can help satisfy that need. So as Shailen mentioned, sort of AM, FM, that's also an objective of ours, to make Pandora not put it in an apps folder or a subcategory, to make it an actual audio source. So as you're cycling through, uh, you can have access to Pandora and all of the stations that you've Created and cultivated whether it's on the web, on your mobile device, or increasingly now on the car.
3: I think actually one of the the big things is actually what you were mentioning about is the marketing benefit of having the car company market those services. Pandora did definitely benefit from that. and the reality is is that car companies do real marketing, like they spend hundreds of millions of dollars. They don't just run banner ads on the web. they put things on television. So the reality is is that that if you can actually get your logo on an ad for a car company on television, that's going to help your brand hugely, and it also helps them because what Pandora people would actually maybe buy a car because they like already Pandora and they see that service in there. So it's a two. You guys are cutting that already in that success point of a two-way street. I think the the how the consumer finds out about it. There's still some work needed here because we're still not reaching a large user base of. There's still a huge amount of car consumers who are not really finding out about this. <coughs> They're not yet the. Digital kind of you know early adopter guys on the phone. There's still a bunch of people that that would benefit if there was something on the card that was probably prompting them. Maybe that today is a paper card that's in the seat when you buy the car that just says get Pandora because it works with it. Yeah. In fact, I've seen that in Fords. It's like stuck in the. It's like it's stuck around like the key ring, literally, if they have like paper promos.
1: Yeah, we we spend a lot of time between Pandora, AHA, and a lot of these services um, that already work with automakers um, in marketing. Literally, on my team, I manage marketing as well for AHA. We have people um, literally sitting, um, working side by side with um, advertising agencies, because every collateral that gets out, you know, sometimes the automakers depend on us. Um, you know, outside of huge brands like pandora um you know discovering smaller sort of music brands and and new content is a real challenge for them because this is not their area of expertise and so we spend a lot of time educating them on you know new content that's coming up and working with them to highlight them in marketing collaterals and marketing materials and advertising because our job is actually not technically to push our aha brand but we see ourselves as a platform to basically um highlight um, sort of new and upcoming brands
2: And on the education front that you alluded to, Ty, I think that um, we'll we'll continue to benefit from just the expansion of these availability of these services in more and more cars. I mean, the truth of the matter is we're very excited about the early adoption, but uh, if you think about 250 million cars on the road. Uh, there's a replacement cycle of 10 to 12 years. It's going to take some time for true ubiquity, availability of these services in a ubiquitous sense. Um, you know, even if we were available on every one of the 15 million cars sold this year, it would still be a 15 plus year uh, cycle before there was total availability on the car in, in cars on the road. So I think. As more and more cars do have th- these technologies available, there will be greater and greater understanding of how they're used, just like any, the evolution of any technology. Um, we are, at the same time, not going to sit on our hands and just sort of let it come. We are doing everything we can, similar to Aha, to work with partners to help drive more education, awareness, utilization. We have the benefit of metrics. We can understand exactly when someone is connecting to the Pandora server from a car, even from what level, make, and model. Uh, and we can bring that data back to our partners and sort of work through opportunities to enhance the education, training, awareness. So I think we'll uh, we'll leverage all of those things.
0: Uh, quick question for the audience here. Are, are you all hearing us all right? Do we need to speak up or anything like that? Good? Great, thanks. Um, Okay, second issue here is uh, working with automakers. Automakers are huge, billion-dollar companies. that have been around for 100, like 100 years. Um, you're all startups. Uh, so given the size of automakers, how difficult is it to find a relevant department or contact within an automaker to start working with them? And uh, how? And, and also, once you start working with them, how long does it typically take to see your, your technology implemented in the car?
1: I'll tackle this one. Um, So, it's it's a little bit challenging because the reality is is that, you know, the folks who manage um, this sort of service, you know, they're embedded in the planning departments and typically the planning departments, you know, may reside in Japan, for example, for Japanese automakers. And so, it's literally trying to get to the right country, to find the right planner, to basically deal with um, product life cycles that, you know, begin potentially anywhere between three to seven years. And so it takes a while to get into vehicles. It takes a while to sort of plan this. What you're seeing in terms of fruition now, from, on behalf of sort of Pandora, AHA, and a lot of us, um, is a culmination of multiple years of sort of development work and um, planning and business development um, lead to, to get that done. And so it does take quite a lot of time. Um, however, If you look at Ford and you look at Chrysler, a lot of them are actually opening up um, new programs that's available for um, startups and, and apps, and so that is getting a little bit easier and easier as they make these things public. But the folks who actually have app stores are a small percentage in terms of actual vehicle numbers and new vehicles that they're pushing out To So um, you know, I think it's a real challenge as a startup to basically find the right people, but also um, getting yourselves in a very small subset and, and supporting those automakers are extremely challenging. and They're not in a beta world that we all live in today. Um, there's no betaing. Um, there's you know, master and there is Automotive Grade and so that's a very very different thing than the world that you know of startups where you're able to sort of you know refresh your app every two weeks. So
2: yeah, I agree completely the the product planning groups within these automakers are definitely the right audience to target in terms of sort of getting your service into their cars, but uh that said it's not going to be an easy channel. It's going to be not going to be easily overcome for small app makers, right? They're going to look at okay, what's the benefit? What is gonna be the requirement for resource investment on my side? And is it worth it to me to go through that? I think as these platforms do open up, there will be more and more opportunity, but there will still be a vetting process. It won't be quite as wide open uh,
1: an environment as you see in the app stores, the mobile app stores of today. I think there's a challenge on your end as well, right? I mean, it's not just sort of a research constraint on their end, but it's a resource constraint on your end. Today, when you built an application for iOS and you're building an application for Android, um, you know, you're building one application that typically works with just about every phone out there. We're talking millions and millions of vehicles. And so when you get into the automotive space, suddenly you're dealing with basically one iteration with a code for maybe Ford and maybe a little bit of code for, um, you know, Chrysler, a little bit of code for somebody else. And so that means that you're maintaining multiple Versions potentially of your application for each little app store. From a resource point of view, the volume that you're experiencing there, as you know, Jeff has mentioned, is minuscule comparatively. So what you're really looking at is how do you basically place a chip in terms of getting into the emerging market of connected vehicles, but still expend your resources wisely, you know. And so you, it, it's a little bit of a resource management on your end as well, because it's not just sort of, you know, even if you wanted to, this is a really great bet, right? Yeah. So. It,
2: it, even, even, well, I don't want to say even paid but as a market leader, certainly in the internet radio, and uh, as someone who's a company that's truly invested in delivering our service in the car, even for us, there are uh, resource considerations in terms of what we pursue for in-car integration. Uh, we benefited uh, certainly from being there early and developing technology that can be leveraged across automakers. So we actually developed a proprietary API that allowed these automakers to build applications themselves that would connect to the mobile app on the phone. And that did shift a lot of the resource onto their side. Now we still go through certification, evaluation, review, et cetera. Um, but without having made that strategic move early on, I think we would be struggling. There's no way, I can say with complete certainty, there's no way we'd be where we are now in terms of model availability and the trajectory that we have for continued expansion.
3: You know, I was going to say the, the other, there are a couple other ways to get involved. Um, So Ford, it does have an open kind of API platform, but like you're saying, none of them have a thing where you can just make the app, put it in the app store, and then it works in the the car. So in other words, every automotive connected app is certified by, to some degree, by an automotive manufacturer. It's not completely open. You can get access to the APIs. In fact, you can find that many of these guys are now holding hackathons. Many of them have R&D groups that are actually here in Silicon Valley. So Palo Alto, so Ford, and Mercedes, and Daimler, and these guys maybe once or twice a year, have a hackathon that they do in partnership with somebody like Facebook or somewhere else so you can get in there and meet some of the people behind the scenes and do something. Um, the it, it is absolutely true what he's saying, which is to actually, or both of them are saying, to actually support the, let's call it, 12 different SDKs that, there are, that they're all revving at different levels for <coughs> in combination with iOS. That's a huge software issue, and you know we have a big department at Grayson that does this, and so it, it is hard for a small guy. You can kind of go niche and say, I'm just going to do Ford, and I'm going to do that right now, and that might be the easiest, frankly, or you can, to try to do something broad really requires more an approach like he's said, as, which is to actually engage the automotive manufacturers, but they're only going to do that if your idea is getting on scale. In other words, if they see the thing you're doing is turning into a really popular thing and you have a unique angle for their brand or their car. And uh, uh, so I guess a good idea could still get you in there, but it's, it's pretty rare to see that happen. Um, there's been a few.
1: We're gonna speak up for ourselves here at AHA. So um, in, in our case, um, there's also companies like AHA that you could work with. And so we actually work with a lot of small sort of um, players who are interested in getting into the market. I've, as I've mentioned in the beginning, we have the self-publisher portal, where we're working with a lot of different content providers to bring the content in vehicle. Um, we actually today, um, you know, we work with RDO and we work with a lot of music services that are up and coming um, that don't have the scale and um, today of a Pandora. And so we do work with them and the integration work is free. We do all of the work. We do all of the certification. We do all of the work with the automakers and you just work with us and we do the integration in the cloud. And so there are aggregators like myself and, you know, the company that we work for that you could basically do business development work with. And we get you into those cars that don't have the app stores like Honda and Subaru and so forth. So yeah.
0: AHA uh-huh, is also part of an equipment. I mean, you're owned by Harman, which is a major automotive supplier. Yes. So I imagine that's an easier way in. To,
1: yes. And so, um, you know, we were a Silicon Valley startup in um, that started in 2008, and we were acquired by Harman in 2010. And Harman does make about 45% plus of the audio navigation systems, both sort of branded as well as unbranded. Um, we had deals in place with Honda um, prior to the acquisition and a few others as well. So when we do also work with automaker head units, um, Head unit providers at our own our own parent company's um, competitors. So we um, actually live here in Silicon Valley, and we don't actually embed with our um, actual parent company because we work on competing products. And so um, the, the company is betting on the long term future of connected vehicles, which and the the need. Um, for bringing in a whole host of content from all sort of walks of sort of digital life And so it's very challenging. They know how challenging it is for um, startups to actually get into the vehicle Which is why the platform was created um, so that we could actually bring a huge breadth and a long tail of content Basically into the car versus just you know what's popular because we all know what's popular now may not be popular tomorrow And cars have a life cycle of 10 to 12 years so.
0: so going in on that equipment maker front, I know a lot of automakers are starting to do their own electronics development, do their own uh, integrated uh, head unit development, and not relying on an equipment makers as much anymore. <clears throat> so I mean, how, how do you see that trend? How, how, do, how do all of you see that trend changing? Or, or is it like a reasonable idea to work with equipment makers still? Or do you want to get in, get in with the automaker themselves?
2: I think, I think you need to start with the automaker. I think they still are controlling that process, and they will make the decision whether they're using a Tier 1 or taking that in-house. I think still, Shailen might have some more insight into this than I do, but my perspective is that Tier 1s are going to continue to play a very important role. Um, but regardless, I do think the initial starting point has to be the automaker, because they are going to be providing, the, driving the specification process and defining what needs to be in, in included in their radios.
1: Hardware is our commodities, right? At the end of the day, it's quality and and pricing and a whole host of things. But when you're talking about services like Pandora and AHA, you're an added value service. It's a higher value product. So the automakers really want to be able to sort of control that, have their stamp on what that experience looks like. And so this is why you're seeing them sort of dictating, you know, we want AHA and regardless of which um, hardware manufacturer we use, which is why AHA is in existence today. And we work with all the different um, tier one auto manufacturers other than our own parent company was because we basically um, had automakers come and tell us that they want AHA, but they don't necessarily want the Harman head unit, which is very high end and could be very pricey. So.
3: One of the trends I'm seeing there is, I mean, one thing that hasn't happened yet, there was a lot of discussion of there being an uh, Android, you know, head head unit a few years ago. Hasn't happened, okay? And part of that is to actually build something that runs inside of a vehicle, like, you shouldn't have to reboot your car, okay? Like, like you know, probably many of us have cars, like, what's the last time the radio, like, crashed and, like, you <laughs> saw it black screen? Doesn't happen. partially Harmon. when they do do this stuff it's not just their hardware platform it's an embedded operating system that's there it has fault tolerant kernels it has memory management that doesn't let apps that are running on there escape and wipe out other apps and there's a lot of work done to make sure there's absolutely no memory leaks that's why it doesn't rev a lot because when you do that you introduce those kind of risks so one problem in the current marketplace is they'd love to take advantage of the innovation that's happening on these you know android-like platforms but they don't want the bugs so you can't have your car like, oops, you updated your car to the 10.2. Oh no, now your Nav app doesn't work. Oh wait, that doesn't work with the Pandora app that's in there. Uh-huh. Okay, people are managing this now on their phones, but in their cars, they're not really used to it yet. Although, I guess I would say in a manifest destiny of the future, 10 years from now, it's unavoidable. Okay. I hate to say it, but everyone's gonna want the services, but the reality is, you know, making, making it run perfectly like it does now that t- I don't know, I don't know how long they can continue.
1: And this is why you see Pandora Link, right, as a, a current um, a layer, right, in the, the head unit. So you see, aha, uh-huh, we run something similar in a head unit. It's because whatever is actually embedded within the auto, um, automotive head unit has to be extremely stable. And so what we want to do is basically build complexity in the mobile application and in the cloud, right? So we could rev the cloud every day with 10,000 new, like, streams of audio every day it's easy for us to do that way. Um, we could rev this application once a month to basically you know, refresh, you know, to include new location-based services, but it's very, very challenging to ask you as a consumer to basically take your car into the Honda head, you know, you barely get your oil change, guys, right? And so basically bringing that car in and then basically getting your head units flashed um, or you know, experiencing a bug when you're in the middle of navigation um, to, uh, on a family trip, you know, this is the kind of thing that they're trying to avoid, in essence.
3: However, if you look at the new Tesla, it's the future. Future of Tesla. It's basically updated apps. I think your app might be the first integrated app in that thing.
2: It's not. It's not ours, but uh, okay. Somebody's. Somebody's yeah. in there.
3: Um, yeah, so, the anyways, slacker, so, but but the reality of that is, so that that is a little bit more futuristic. And whether they can make that reliable or not, I don't know. But I guess I would say that that the beautiful user interface that's possible now. I mean, the new vehicles that will be coming. The entire dashboard. I mean, it's like a curved, full-color, you know, bitmap display. So, and yes, there are safety issues, which we're going to talk about la- later. But that, and then the other parts of the car and the lighting system, of the car is all fully integrated into a whole experience. And so, what you can do with that, with clever software and wonderful design, is amazing. It'll be hard to push all of the, all of that out to here. So, the reality is, some things will be out here, some things will be in there. It'll be very, and and what's interesting is, and I think actually Ford would probably say this, they're becoming a software company because this is all about software. This is why Apple did so well. It's all about software. So you know, it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that, and this goes back to our earlier point about broad-in versus built-in connectivity. I think there are challenges that exist to current adoption of of embedded connectivity, but I think that we're gonna see those start to fall. Um, If you look at multiple data plans, for instance, GM has not announced with respect to their relationship with AT&T how they're going to manage the data plan, but they've hinted that there would be some opportunity to share the car as a device on your current plan. Um, There still needs to be more flexibility, like what if you don't use AT&T, then you're still stuck there, right? So uh, do the chipsets evolve so that they support multiple carriers, are there dynamic switching between those things? I think all of that. I think the consumer demand and the opportunity, and quite honestly, the opportunity that it would represent for the OEMs will drive innovation that will address some of the challenges that we have to truly built-in connectivity being the de facto standard. Yeah, I mean we we Grayson participated
3: in a kind of car of the future. It was at CES this last year. So, you know, Mercedes built like the dash of the future, and it was a full bitmap dash. And it was really amazing what was actually in there. And of course, real-time traffic information, but real-time traffic information from the other cars that were in front of you, not from like a server, like the guy that's like 100 feet in front of you goes, wow, it's jammed right here. So the reality is that just even seeing that kind of functionality to really would help drivers and even make it safer, some of those things will actually inform the braking system in your car that something's happening, and or at least like, hey, you, pay alert, pay attention, like the cars in front of you are stopping. So, some of those features will be valuable enough, I hope, eventually to, convince, to get over the kind of, a call to connectivity gap, which is really uh, what's going here. And then I think clever applications, you know, stuff that lets people really enjoy their car. People love their cars. I mean, I realize that's not great for green and, you know, mass transportation, but they do love them. And, in fact, these services and integrating them in a safe way and making it even easier to get where you're going and safer and more fun, like, that will
0: be very compelling. Um, I want to kind of go to a higher view right now and take a look at the <coughs> development of cars. We, we've had, uh, we've seen 8-tracks coming to you in cars. We've seen cassette players. Uh, I don't know if there's any new model you could get with a cassette, cassette <laughs> player anymore. Um, so this question, or this issue is, so when does the CD player go away? When do automakers drop the CD player? And another point from what we were discussing uh, just before this whole panel started is uh, when does broadcast radio go away? Ooh.
3: I can take the CD player one, so Grace Grace Snow does CD recognitions and we've been in those cars since since 2001 doing that Um, and we thought actually at our company that they would go away because we were like well people won't need to do this but it turns out that in fact people still have CDs and in fact there's a whole broad range of consumers all over the world and in fact if you look at the record companies still globally sell 60% of their music on CDs. Okay, so yes, I know we're all here in Silicon Valley, but those cars happen to go to Brazil, you know, and people down there may still play CDs. And I hate to say this, older people still play CDs, and younger people still play CDs. So the reality is, is that there are that there are some, I think, use cases which will continue on. For now, we're, we're getting designs, and we're, you know, Grace knows part of these hardware platforms, so we're seeing seven years out still still there. Um, the newest functionality is not to have. The CD uh, ripping in the car, but what happens is the CD you put it in, it just looks it up in our database and then creates a playlist on a music service of the CD, and the user can take the CD out. They don't even know that that's a playlist now. So that's a great function, and uh, and for onboarding people who are not yet digital consumers, if they were to put the CD in. And then it came up with a thing on the screen and said, hey, would you like to memorize this as a playlist on Music Service X? Click here to subscribe, that might be very beneficial. So we're, we're looking at those kind of uh, product offerings.
1: Not popular say at the music conference here, but I used to work at a company called Audible, which is about downloadable audiobooks. And so, surprisingly, you know, that's a huge, huge. Cars is basically where most people listen to their audiobooks. And as much as I spent majority of my two and a half years there trying to get people over the, the chasm of listening to audiobooks on downloadable media. A lot of my customers who are a little bit older also still listen to things on CDs, and this is why it's still challenging to take that particular medium away. Um, That's not to say the cassette tape
3: has gone away, though. We have gotten yes,
1: and that's why until two and a half years ago, actually until two years ago, I still had a cassette player. Surprisingly. Um, But yeah, it it is starting to go away and I think that, you know, as each industry, each content industry starts to get more acclimated on the idea of basically digital delivery, you'll see a lot more of those formats being delivered in digital. But audiobooks, it's 16 hours. Kind of, you know, it's different than delivering five hours worth of, you know, but what's five really coming into travel. the
3: car is the turntable because vinyl's back. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. By the way, I have a great picture of actually a turntable in a car that I found somewhere on the internet. It was great. So it was an RCA product.
2: Maybe uh, getting to the the FM question you posed, I think that, there were some reports that came out know, uh, in the last few months about automakers even as, as soon as the next few years removing uh, FM radios from their cars, which I think. Uh, I think the death of FM radio is is greatly exaggerated. I think it's ridiculous to think that we'll see any removal of uh, FM AM tuners in the, in the near future. Um, that said, I do I do think it's inevitable that IP-based delivery of content is the future, that's where things are going and it's true, certainly true for Pandora, we, we leverage I, the very nature of the internet allows us to provide our service where you have this one-to-one communication you're creating and cultivating your own experience. Certainly not available via the broadcast model where it's just sort of the one stream being delivered to anyone who's within broadcast range. So it's certainly a big part for our future, but I think it's also true for the broadcast radio players as well, whether it's delivery of their streams via IP uh, or looking at them looking at other services similar to, to the ones uh, that Pandora provides. So I think it, the FM will continue to be there. Um, but over the long term, I just think you'll see the, the shift, the concentration of listening shift to IP-based content.
1: And we're talking about automakers um globally and i mean as much as we live in north america um we're talking about you know automakers deal on a global and so, you know, the infrastructure here, believe it or not, though we all complain about it, even here in Silicon Valley, um, you know, it is more robust than in other locations. And a lot of what we do at AHA today is we work with folks globally. You know, we deliver services, both, you know, location-based service products as well as music globally. And getting through the buffer zones in sort of the European market just becomes a challenge. And so AM, FM, and, and all of those sort of um, broadcast spectrums are still a little bit more reliable. Um, but, you know, agree with Jeff that, I mean, we, you know, you know we actually have to deliver content that is available for music that's you know licensed for France but not for Germany and we actually the minute that you actually cross the border we throw a beacon out and we say oh Sorry, you can no longer listen to Lady Gaga now that you're in Germany. So, we do a lot of geofencing and targeting um, based on IP and location. Um, we'll continue to do that, and that's what's going to sort of change um, how one looks at FM and, and content delivery. But at the end of the day, you know, we're very. Pr- like privileged to sit here um, in very sort of um, you know rich media area with a lot of great infrastructure but most of the world isn't like this and most of the car makers are very interested in emerging markets and they, they aren't planning to abandon AMFM anytime soon
3: I still think you're going to need radio where there's not connectivity and so there's mm-hmm. still not going to be connectivity everywhere you drive around you know even in the state of California as soon as you leave certain areas or, for example, where my office is in Berkeley, where they won't put up any cell towers because they think they're evil. Um, (laughs) So in connectivity-free zones like that, you know, the radio does work. There's also safety issues, like you need to be able to like turn on the radio. If we ever have a real natural disaster here like the earthquake in 89,
0: guess what, cell phone network, throw it out the window, turn on the radio. So it has to be there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> let's go into audio quality. I kind of mentioned this question earlier. Um, you know, CDs and lossless codecs deliver you know, really you know, the best quality you know, we can expect, uh, or, or that most people can expect, most people want. When you're talking about mobile, it's a pretty limited bit rate. I mean, sometimes down to 64 bits per second, um, or k bits. Uh, so is there a solution? Is there some way of getting audiophile quality in a car over a mobile connection?
2: So we we think about this a lot and it is this balance between providing this seamless, streamlined music listening experience where you're not getting stuttering, the audio is coming uninterrupted, and balancing that against the fidelity of that audio. So uh, we do manage, we have sort of dynamic shifting when, when some of the cell phone connectivity sh- is shifting, we can change the bit rate at that which we're delivering the content. Um, we also use AAC Plus as our codec, as our def- default codec for mobile delivery, it allows for you know, kind of a higher fidelity at lower bit rate. Um, you know, and I think it's also true that you compare the, the Pandora listening experience to some of the standards that are in the car currently outside of CD. So if you look at FM, AM, or um, uh, or even satellite radio, we, we are we have a higher quality audio stream than you get through those services. So certainly not at the lossless level, but I think one that provides a, a very good listening experience. Right now, that you
3: can also, uh, I mean, there's a couple of different efforts underway to to create higher quality standards and, and one problem with this is the ability to cache. So you have to build, there's not going to be necessarily enough bandwidth to stream like uncompressed audio, but you could trickle charge the cache in the phone. So the first time you play the song, maybe it's at the quality that you're getting today, but then over time it basically improves in quality when you're not doing other things or when you're connected to Wi-Fi. And so, but that requires licensing, a special kind of licensing. The major subscription services, such as Spotify have this today. So you're in Spotify, you listen to the track, it streams it to you, whatever bandwidth you can get at it right then. But if you set it to high quality or extreme quality or whatever, it'll cache it when you have the bandwidth to actually do that in the background. And the next time you play it, it'll play it from the local cache and play it at high quality. Now it's still not lossless, um, but the reality is is that those kind of strategies will, will, I think, emerge. So maybe not super high quality immediately, but super high quality slightly later.
2: Yeah, and and as the um, I think as connectivity expands and we have four G more available, and then even beyond that. Even if we're not caching on the device itself, there will be opportunities to ratchet up the bit rates that we're serving. Data will also become cheaper. The data plans uh, will be able to manage. Yeah, you those. don't want to
3: like blow through. I mean, you know, a few few drives
2: to work on Pandora. You
3: don't want to blow through your entire data allotment. For yeah, that.
2: and that's why we use the the codec right to <laughs> yeah. manage that efficiently because it, it does. It actually ends up being a lot lighter experience than uh, than you would expect. You you can get get away with listening for. Uh, 20 hours per month and still end up in the you know, low percentages of a standard data plan. Right. It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue
3: at our house because a lot of kids use YouTube as their music source and they just don't look at the video. Yeah, But it does send the video. <laughs> and then about the end of the week, like, hey, why am I hitting my
0: 1.5 gigabyte data limit because you've listened to YouTube. So it's a problem. Uh, yeah, speaking of that question actually, I get a lot of questions from readers about if I have a, a, you know, can a connected app in my car, do I, you know, when do I blow through my data plan? Is there any push from you guys or from any quarters you're aware of to get the, the providers, the, the, the data carriers to uh, <coughs> have, have larger bandwidth or you know, greater uh, uh, data limits for their plans you know, above the normal two gig per month?
2: So there, there was a lot of uh, attention, certainly internally and externally paid, when the, the all-you-can-eat data plan started going away. Uh, we wanted to watch very carefully to see if it was going to have any impact on our listening. Uh, the truth is it, it hasn't. Our, our listener average time spent listening per listener per month is, has continued to grow pretty dramatically over the period of time since that, since that happened. And I think it speaks, uh, quite honestly, to this the noise that was built in around it, and the actual uh, circumstances that you have, it is it is a very efficient way to listen. Certainly, when you compare to something like video streaming, um, it's a it's a pretty lightweight. Uh, it's very it's very
3: efficient. I mean,
2: technically speaking, it's tiny compared to just photo
3: updates from Instagram or Facebook. Mega, like you know, people are just blowing through photos and those things, and those are huge. So, so it's not that that's blowing through your. If it was Pandora, was causing you to go over the day limit, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. You know, I think maybe a few years ago when the day limits were smaller, but now kind of the average plan, it's not music that's your problem. It's your, it's your social networking and your
0: email. And you mentioned caching as well. So uh, how difficult is it to license uh, caching to, to different uh, data degrees from the, the music companies? Well, the music companies currently yeah. consider that a feature of one of the,
3: I call it music on demand service kind of levels. And so you have to be paying, I don't know if it's, possible to do it at the kind of the interactive radio low level you know they there's like two levels of licensing Um, but anyways it's considered something that's part of those plans and they want to try to that's one of the features that they want to have one thing I would say about that is is that it, it is possible now for people in most vehicles to hear the quality difference a little because the systems are so good in the cars nowadays. So I think to some degree it depends on the type of music that you listen to and then your own personal sensitivity to it. But uh, uh, it, it is it is there where they could probably hear the difference. Um, um, but I don't, I don't know if Dave Hyman is here, but Dave Hyman t- told me, quality has to be sold. You have to teach people about quality. It's not something that they naturally think about. And if they can A-B it, they might be able to hear it, but they have to actually kind of have a demo for them and kind of explain to them. And so you know, right now, I don't think necessarily a lot of the consumers are really thinking about that as much as they could be in the future. He's busy with Neil Young right now. He's busy with Neil Young, who's trying to deliver, yeah, 300 kilobyte 24-bit audio. (laughs) So Neil Young's going to have a, you know, you're going to have to have like a, you know, I don't know, a a cable strapped on the back of your car. You'll have an actual drive with a connected fiber optic cable streaming out the back. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Solar,
3: exactly. Okay, I'm going to
0: change gears on the issue right here. Here's another kind of big issue in the news is distracted driving. Uh, so National Highway Transportation Safety Administration re- uh, recently released a, a big, you know, hundred and something page document, to, um, all these recommendations for automakers on interface design. <clears throat> they said things like there shouldn't be scrolling text on a display, there shouldn't be more than 30 characters, you know, on, on a display because apparently a driver can't register that much, you know, in a quick glance. Uh, they also don't think there should be pictures such as album art on a display. So how, how do you deal with uh, these sort of n- nits of recommendations and how, how do you make a, a dis- what, do, what do you consider a safe interface for uh, music in a car?
3: We consider a safe interface a completely black screen where there's absolutely nothing to look at. <laughs> and it automatically identifies what you want to listen to completely through.
0: Through mental waves. Through mental, <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. The, the problem is, is that that it is absolutely true that driver distraction is a huge safety issue. The problem is this is a distraction. So unless you're going to somehow get this out of my hands, anything you don't let me do in the car, I'm just going to do here. So, um, And this is there are lots of articles about this now. People, you know, and maybe uh, Harmon can talk about this. Nav systems in new cars lock out when you're driving. You can't put an address in when you're driving, unless you do it with the voice, which is very frustrating, possibly. Um, especially if your voice isn't one of the ones that works well with the recognition system because you have an accent or it doesn't really work with your voice for whatever reason um, and so so in that case you just say screw it I'm gonna use the phone and you just start putting it into Google or whatever and uh, uh, that's an example you know the problem really is there's all kinds of pictures there's all kinds of text there's everything in the universe on this thing and yes it's against the law but if you drive out here on the street I guarantee you every third car someone's holding this in their hand so it's what are we gonna do about that? I don't know, it's a huge social issue.
2: Yeah, we, we want to get in, we want people listening in the cars all the time, but we want them doing it safely. And to this point, we've relied really on the automakers who have these huge teams, they dedicate to driver distraction, driver workload, they've actually worked with NHTSA in defining what those guidelines look like. They're the ones who really are the experts in terms of designing what the user interface looks like. Um, and we've certainly benefited from their guidance and their direction in, in, creating those interfaces for the car. Uh, Pandora also benefits from being, uh, even from the beginning when the service was based on the web and now on mobile uh, primarily, it's it's an incredibly powerful but incredibly simple tool. So really, it's a, a pretty limited subset of features, functions that you want available. It's the ability to pick your station, a thumb up or thumb down a track, skip a skip a song. Um, so I, I do think we benefit from that, but we also benefit from the ex- expertise of the OEMs.
1: Well, As Harmon, you know, we we work very closely with the automakers. And the reality is, as a fourth band of radio, one of the major concerns that we have is around, you know, ensuring that the AHA experience, um, we render everything into an AM, FM-like sort of... um, um, user experience, and, we, and the, the automakers control what that user experience looks like, and typically they look like an AM, FM, so literally if you use the social media channel like Twitter or Facebook, it literally will read your Facebook postings to you and allow you to retweet one click or um, you know Facebook check-in um, on one click, but you already do one click on a navigation system in your vehicle, and so we really pride ourselves in terms of working with the automakers to basically not um, put too many steps into a user experience in vehicle because the reality is is that I think that's just a very challenging sort of way to do, um, you know, car driving at 60 miles an hour. That's not to say you only have like
3: two seconds, right? I mean, how long do you
1: exactly? And all that's all it takes. And you know, we could. I mean, as a platform, we not just deal with music; we deal with podcasts and location-based services and social media. So the question then becomes: You know, how do you? You know, when you look at basically bringing content from all over um, the internet, how do you basically make those things safe in a vehicle? Today, you will not see us doing things like open table because the reality is is that there's (laughs) practically no way on our end that we've looked at to make open table AM FM like experience. I'm just being candid, right? I, I know that it exists as a car implementation. I've yet, and I've talked to them, um, I've yet to figure out how to make that happen, and which is why that service is not available on the AHA platform. And so until we could actually figure out, like at least we could get us into the minimum standard, what we're already seeing in vehicles today, which is one touch navigation, um, one click thumbs up, some of these sort of related issues or rendering social media to be read to you um, and be able to voice speech, input. Speech control, that's the only or way. speech control. Um, and speak control easily, again, to your point of being able to capture, um, you know, how you speak easily, um, then we're not going to be providing that, you know, external services that actually will make it makes things a challenge. NHTSA is a standard. It's not law. And so um, I think the question really becomes, you know, is the genie already out of the bottle and are they trying to regulate something that's already out of, you know, the genie that's already sort of out into the wild. I mean, you've got AM and FM, you know, station managers meeting in, in the NAB, talking about how they're going to standardize pushing album art into the car for AM and FM. And so it's not just a question of digital media being pushed in, but it's literally even now for FM and AM stations, they're trying to push in metadata as well.
3: I mean, actually the, the general trend is, I mean, just look at the dash of the car without any of the media stuff. It's I mean, especially Japanese cars, highly rich, multicolored, you know, it's practically a visual jukebox, you know, going off on the dashboard. And so I think consumers' expectations because of the bitmap displays on these phones are increasing. So the problem is, balancing that with safety is super important, but also the consumers want to have fun and they want to have an experience, and so how do you make it safe? Um, I do think photos are somewhat... That's an interesting question. I, what we were talking before the panel, they're worried that they're gonna make a photo. We're saying that was so interesting that you would be distracted. Well, I can think of what some of those photos might be, but generally speaking, album cover artwork, and especially at the size that's typically displayed, is not something you're gonna look at for very long. Um, in fact, one thing that is true about humans, humans can recognize faces. That's what you're designed to actually do very, very quickly, uh, faster than reading text. Text is something you have to learn to do. Recognizing faces you were born with the ability to do that and so I do think image recognition Properly used, is actually possibly faster people a lot of people can actually see a record album as a picture and Pick it faster than they could see the text and find it there and uh, uh, So you know Good question I would be I'd be interested to understand if, if the tests were done with photographs Maybe your personal photographs versus album covers. I don't really know what they're
0: what they're really looking at Yeah, speaking about voice command I um There's currently voice command for, you know, an iPod or iOS device hooked up to the car to say play artist, play album, thanks Grace Note. uh, um, But when does that come to the online services? When can you hook up to your online service, your Pandora, whatever, and say, you know, play this or play that?
2: Yeah, so we've been watching this, and um, certainly the mobile OS's provide pretty good voice rec right now if you look at the Android and iPhone platforms. we're certainly interested in having access to lower levels of the API for that. You can launch Pandora using the built-in OS and the handset. Um, we'd love to, to have access to, the, to those voice rec engines to do other things like create stations or choose stations, thumb up, thumb down, et cetera. Uh, up to this point, that has not been available, but we certainly hope and I think expect that to happen.
1: We work with the automakers basically to utilize the onboard voice-in systems to basically change channels and do a host of things on the Aha platform, and we do that because you know the, the automakers expect to use the voice-rec now to do a multitude of things like turn on air conditioning and and whatnot, and so um, cont- I, I think as you see technology evolve in a car moving forward, you'll see more and more voice rec as they're bringing nuance and other types of um, tech companies into the car. And so we basically piggyback off of those um, technologies that they're using.
2: Yeah, definitely. The, those built-in voice rec engines are huge. The, the other side of that conversation is that it's it's important to have, but if it, it's in there and it doesn't perform well, then it's incredibly frustrating. So I think that's something that... Um, that the automakers are trying to sort out. Some are doing it better than others, and, uh, but it'll continue to get better uh, over time.
3: We, we have, at we since we do that part of the thing, we have a lot of experience with it. It's actually a big challenge. The, the biggest challenge is, is that in a music catalog, where well, there's 29 million songs or more in the catalog, or you know, there's hundreds of thousands of artists, actually there's lots that are the same. And there's also metadata issues where, like the name of your artist is Cash Money, with like a dollar sign in the middle for the S. And so, and there's nicknames for the artists. So the problem really is, and Grace did work with Nuance to provide this, we had to provide, you know, had to be able to re- realize and say, Fitty, it has to get that, right? So the reality is, how do you do that when you have this huge catalog? So actually, the system that needs to be designed, and this is kind of, has to actually take a section of that music catalog that's appropriate for you personalized to you and get some of it down into the local recognition system so that the local system can work on most of the stuff that you want, and then the cloud-based system can worry about the deep catalog search where you 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 know, suddenly get off on an African music band and you want to like call up for some guy in Africa where that's not in your local catalog normally. And that's because you heard about him on NPR and you want to watch him. So it is, it is a problem. It's something that they want to be able to do. The idea of first, I'll call it deep artist search, will be solved before there's deep track search. Because track search is a whole different level of massive amounts of data. But eventually, I think it will be there. And that's what people are touching the phone for. Because on here, they can go right to the track they want. And so that... Is a feature that we eventually need to provide in a safe manner, and voice is probably the way to do it.
1: And I mean, you got to remember, you know, today a lot of us, when Siri came out, you know, everyone's test trying things, and you know, Siri always tells you something, maybe not quite what you thought you wanted. So, envision doing this in a vehicle that's going sixty miles an hour with this sort of, you know, if the cab of your vehicle is actually quite noisy, um, you know, it's all great if we were all in a Porsche and it's you know airtight and you know you'd, it's pin drop, you can listen to in a vehicle. Um, but the reality is, this, this isn't sort of, um, you know, that that sort of sound um, turbulence in the cab um, will actually also you know, make it challenging to basically do voice rec in the car. So, so the
0: Geo Metro, it's not gonna work quite as well?
1: I think it's always gonna be a little bit challenging. I have a <laughs> Honda. I love my Honda but it's a little bit noisier in a cab and I, I did notice a difference for the first time I rode in a Porsche and boy it was nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I
1: didn't have a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a new car so um, but it's really nice. So.
0: So apart. we're just about out of time. I, I think, you know, we we kind of used up the bulk of the time here, but if somebody has like the most important question in the room, uh raise your hand.
3: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. come on, be the All right, but you uh, come I'm up? way up in the thing. back there, somebody.
1: Sure. Actually, at the last CES, Tier One um, head unit providers like Harman and quite a few of us actually have dealt with heads up displays. Um, you know, we're we're very interested in that. I think the automakers are interested in that as well. But um, it's a, it's a question of you know, it's a multiple year process to build new technology into vehicles. That's just a reality. It's not because we don't want it to happen. I mean, if you look at Tier Ones, we like all technology companies, we move very rapidly. Um, but, you know, building a car is a cascading um, engineering model. It's not a scrum model, and we all work in scrum here, right? And so it, it sprints are fast um, cascading waterfall models for automakers is three to five years. So, And we're just seeing really the introduction of that type of technology now.
3: It's going to be awesome in 2020.
1: I, I saw I saw the displays um, at the Harmon, um, you know, it, it looked really cool. It was a very minority report, so. Yeah,
0: I think one thing about the uh, head-up displays, I think they probably will concentrate on things like navigation and more crucial information first beyond Safety what? Safety issues, like it shows you a person in the distance and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen some cool displays with the augmented reality, too, where yeah. they show you know, your, your street name kind of listed on buildings uh, that you're driving
2: by. It's very cool. All
3: right, but um, you know, I think the best thing is when the Google car lets you drive automatically, then we can do all the stuff that we really want to do. Yeah. And, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely.
2: At that point, I'd be willing to support the. I just got back from Japan, and, and I, at that point, I'd be willing to support the live TV feed that they have going into the cab driver's car when the cab driver's not That's actually perfect. there. The, the, yeah, not exactly.
3: I'm going to have an integrated performance stage in my car. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs>
0: All right, I think that's pretty much all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks, uh, Ty, Jeff, Shailin. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks. And thank, thank you all you. for uh, coming to the first, first panel on a morning right after Memorial Day weekend.
3: Yeah, thank you guys for all coming out. That was really appreciated.